Well, good morning, Milton Bible Church. It is great to be together on NBC Church Online. It's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas, and it's wonderful to see the snowfall and to see uh, just that, that feeling of Christmas coming, even in during a time of COVID. I trust that you have a wonderful celebration this year. I don't know if you know, but one of the exciting things that is happening uh, within a month is the seasons of uh, the NBA and the, and the NHL are starting again. Both uh, hockey and basketball. It will be great to see them begin and to watch those sports as we go into the new year. The Leafs, the Raptors. Let me ask you, which one of these will stand upon the podium? Which one of these will be the greatest? I don't know if you're a very competitive person or not, but uh, sometimes when we ask ourselves who is the greatest, we begin to think of certain kinds of athletes. We think of their success. We think of their statistics. We think of their assists, their goals, their championships, their rings, their trophies, their accomplishments. When we think, who is the greatest? When it comes to hockey, who is the greatest? Well, we all know that Wayne Gretzky is called the great one. I don't know if Wayne Gretzky has ever referred to himself with that title, the great one, but that's what many people call him. I call him that too. How about in the sport of boxing? Would you say Muhammad Ali is the greatest boxer that's ever lived? A lot of people would. Now, Muhammad Ali, on the other hand, called himself the greatest long before he ever became the champ. When it comes to basketball, who would you say is the greatest of all time? Some people Michael, say Michael Jordan. Other people say LeBron James will be the greatest basketball player of all time. Many people would love to see those two go head to head, and I don't know if they can do that virtually with computers, uh, but it would be a pretty tough go right now. Who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? Do you know, in the entertainment industry, the greatest comes down to who brings in the most money in box office revenues. Do you know that every year Time Magazine votes on a single person or presents a, one single person as the person of the year? In 1938, do you know who that person of the year was? It was Adolf Hitler. This is what Time Magazine wrote back then. Uh, the, the magazine wrote, Hitler became, in 1938, the greatest threatening force that the democratic, freedom-loving world faces today. Do you know, in the passage that we're going to study today, Jesus takes the question of who is the greatest and he's going to turn it on its head. That the success that the world chases is really the opposite of greatness in the kingdom of God. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Mark chapter 9. And we're going to look at two instances 
where Jesus is going to teach us what greatness is not, as well as what it is. So greatness, just a bit of a review. We're continuing our series called Seeing Jesus Clearly. And what Jesus is doing is he is preparing his disciples for the work of the kingdom after he is gone. He is about to go to the cross. He's going to die, bear our sin. He's going to be buried for three days. He's going to rise again and ascend into heaven. And what he's doing is he's preparing the disciples to carry on the work of the gospel, the kingdom ministry, after he is gone. And so he's trying to help them to deal with such important issues as who is the greatest and what that is going to look like. And he's going to help us with that. Being the greatest, dying, suffering, rising again, what Jesus was trying to explain to them what he would be doing, frankly, it just wasn't on their radar. It was not their idea of God's kingdom What they wanted was a political leader. They wanted a military success. They wanted freedom from Roman oppression. They wanted a power leader, a successful leader, not a leader who would suffer humiliation and die. I mean, Jesus and the disciples, not only were they not uh, on the same page, they weren't even in the same book. And so he was beginning to orient them to help them to understand what is greatness truly defined by the Lord himself. So in two episodes, Jesus teaches us what greatness is not and what it is. And in episode number one, we find in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 32. Have you had time to take a look at that? Turn to that, Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 32. And what we're going to find here is that greatness is not success, but greatness is sacrifice. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 32, this is what it says. They went on from there, and they passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Now this paragraph is very instructive because it tells us that greatness is not measured in chasing aspirations that can be measured in accomplishments and accumulations. Greatness is in sacrifice. And teaches, Jesus teaches his disciples this. In fact, he pulls them aside and he wants them to share it to them privately. Now, this is the second time in two chapters that Jesus talks about the need for him to die and be raised up again. And I want you to note that there's one word that's, re- that's very important here. Jesus says this, it's the word delivered. He says, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. Now the word delivered is the Greek word didomai. And it means to hand over, to give over. And the first time when Jesus spoke about being handed over or being given over, he specifically mentioned 
that it was the religious leaders, the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes that were going to do this. But this time in this passage, it's another who would deliver Jesus, who would give him over. And do you know who that other is? It's his father. It's God. Some of you are saying, Jim, are you trying to tell me that God handed his son over to be killed? Do you know what? We know that those who were present at the cross were Romans, they were Jews, they were soldiers, mercenaries from all over the world. And if the truth be told, even we were there. In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, it tells us that Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up, there's that word again, for our trespasses, and he was raised from the dead for our transgressions, for our justification. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5, it says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. He was smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And then in Isaiah 53 verse 10 it says this. The Lord crushed him and laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, the plan of God before the foundation of time was that Jesus Christ would die. The Son of God would bear our sin. The wrath of God would be placed upon him. Yet he would rise up from the dead through the power of the Spirit. He would ascend into heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father, the conquering King, the King of glory. And he would reign and rule there over all humanity. The plan of the Father, Son, and the Spirit before the foundation of the world. And what Jesus does at the cross is he surrenders his will to the will of the Father. And he sacrificed his life for us. So how is this greatness so different from today's understanding of greatness. Do you know one of the TV shows that I do enjoy watching every once in a while because it has a Canadian flavor is the show Shark Tank. And I've had some friends on the show presenting and one of them secured the biggest amount of investment money in the shortest time in the history of the show. And the premise of the show is this. Someone comes, they make a pitch for a product that they want to sell or market or whatever, and uh, they get rich people to invest in it so that at the end of the day, everybody makes lots of money. And the premise is, there's no investment from rich people unless they can get lots of money in return. You see, that's success. Success is determined by how many Instagram followers you have, how many uh, followers you have on Twitter. Success is determined by your sales numbers or your net income, you know, after investment. 
Success is determined by your playing stats or the size of your fan base. But Jesus says, no, no. Greatness is not determined by the world's definition of success. So stop chasing it. Greatness is not defined by success. Greatness is defined by sacrifice. By sacrifice. Sacrifice in laying down the reins of our lives to follow the will of God. The Bible talks, and Jesus had just talked about in the last chapter, uh, that all who follow Jesus must lay down their lives. They must die to self in order to truly live. They must surrender their will to the will of the Father in order to find abundant life. So let me ask you a question. Have you done that? Have you done that? Because that is the way to fullness of life in Christ. That is a way to greatness in the kingdom of God. So let me just ask you, you know, this is where it begins. This is where it begins. Receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, laying down our lives and saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done in my life. I will follow you and I will obey you and receive you as Lord and Savior. Greatness is not determined by success, but by sacrifice. That's the first thing that Jesus teaches us. The second incident is found in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37. Let me read it. Verses, Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37. It says this, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down, and he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child, and he put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. What happens is the disciples, they get to Capernaum. Capernaum is kind of home base for Jesus' ministry throughout Galilee. Jesus has preached in the synagogue there. Some of the disciples are from Capernaum. They fished in the Sea of Galilee there. This is home base. So now they're in the privacy of a home. And Jesus is trying to continue to prepare them for the kingdom of God and what it is going to be needed to move the kingdom of God forward. So we asked them the question, what were you discussing on the way? Now last week we talked about the fact that just because Jesus asks a question, it doesn't mean that he doesn't know the answer. Oftentimes he does know the answer. So why does he ask us uh, uh, questions? Well, he asks us questions to try to help us to re reorient our thinking, to engage our minds, to try to help us to understand is the will and way of our thoughts and our life congruent with the ways and the will of the Father in the Word of God. 
And so he's trying to shape us. He's trying to mold us. He's trying to move us forward in God to help us sort through our thinking and see if it contrasts to what God has in mind. And that's why I asked them the question, what were you discussing? Their answer, silence. <laughs> they don't say anything. He's gathered them around to teach them. Ask them a question and not a single response. Why? Well, maybe they were embarrassed. Maybe they knew that they were off track. But Jesus knows the answer. It says this, For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Now can you imagine what that conversation was like? Think about the disciples. Put yourself in that context of that discussion, that argument. First of all, you've got Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot, who is ready to go to war against the Romans, ready to lay down his life, ready to fight to the death. He's thinking, hey, I gotta be the greatest. Out of everybody here, I'm the warrior. I'm the one who's ready to bring in the kingdom. Or how about Matthew the tax collector? Matthew might have said, hey, I gave up my reputation. Maybe it wasn't a great one, but he said, maybe I gave up my reputation so that to follow Jesus. In fact, not only did I give up my reputation, but I gave up this incredible business. I gave up a, a small fortune. In fact, I threw Jesus a house party and I invited all of my super religious friends to meet the Lord. None of you guys did that. So, Obviously, I'm the one who understands kingdoms and, and, and mobilization and processes and bureaucracies. I'm the greatest. I should be the one in charge. How about Peter, James, and John? They were with Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration. They had seen Jesus in all his glory. They were the big three. Certainly, one of them should have been the greatest. And can you imagine James and John in uh, that argument, in that discussion, James and John, who were called the sons of thunder, the quick-tempered ones, do you think they lost their temper while they were talking about who's going to be the greatest? How about Peter? Peter probably said, well, obviously, guys, I am the greatest. Obviously, I am Jesus' right hand. Come on. It's obvious to everybody, isn't it? It certainly is obvious to me. Can you imagine that discussion as they, as they listen to Jesus talk about leaving, them beginning to lead, and all jockeying for a position? So what Jesus does is he stops them, he sits them down, he draws them close, and then he says these words. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. In other words, greatness is not determined by status, but by service. Greatness is not determined by status, but by service. It's upside down in the kingdom. And this is upside down for them. And they can't get their heads around it. They were arguing about who would be on Jesus' right, who would be on Jesus' left in the coming kingdom. And Jesus says, if you want to be first, you must be last. And if you want to be great, you must be the servant of all. And then what Jesus does is he takes 
a child, and he gives them kind of the greatest lesson that they could not possibly ever forget. And in verse 36, he takes this child, he draws the child to himself, and it says this. He took a child and he put him in the midst of them. And taking this child in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So Jesus, with his, with his child, picks his child up, puts his child in his arms. He just raises the bar as he defines greatness and leadership to his disciples. You see, children in those days, they were loved, but uh, they were placed under the authority of servants. So children had no social status, they had no value, they had no power, they had no input. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, I want you to show kindness to people who can't do anything for you. I want you to show kindness to the people who can't carry your water or serve you. I want you to show kindness to people who have no social leverage, no capital. No, no, I want you to show kindness to people who, when you do kindness to them, that they're, it's impossible for them to give back to you. And when you do, he says, you're showing kindness to me. And not only that, you're welcoming me. And not only are you welcoming me, but you're welcoming him who sent me. You're welcoming my father. You see, greatness is not determined by status. Greatness is determined by service. I don't know if you've ever heard the name of uh, uh, a golfer by the name of Roberto de Vincenzo. Roberto de Vincenzo was a professional golfer. He was Argentinian uh, in the 60s and 70s. And uh, he golfed in a number of tournaments, about 70, he won about 70 golf tournaments, which is pretty successful, about eight of them in the U.S. And he's probably most well-known for during the Masters tournament in the U.S. He signed his scorecard um, during, the, uh, during the qualifying rounds and with the wrong score on it. And he handed it in and was disqualified from the playoffs. What had happened was he wrote down a four instead of a three. He'd actually golfed better than he'd recorded, and, but it was wrong. So he had, they had no choice but to disqualify him from the playoffs. He's kind of famous for that. But uh, Roberto de Vincenzo, uh, there's a story told about him winning a golf tournament. And he won the golf tournament, and uh, it was a great day for him, and he was given the check, he was given a trophy, photographers came, they took pictures, you know, the TV cameras were there, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and, and it, it was just a great day. And so after the award ceremony, he took his trophy, he took his check, and he made his way to the parking lot where his car was, and he went to get in his car. And there, there was a woman there waiting. And the woman said to Roberto, said, you had a pretty good day, didn't you? And Roberto said, yeah, I did. And the woman said, well, my daughter is not going to have a very good day. You see, my daughter has an inoperable medical condition. And she is in pain every day. And we can't afford the medications that are so needed 
for her to get through each day. So what the golfer did was he took out his check and took it out of the envelope and he signed the back of it and he walked over to the woman and he gave it to her and he said to her, well, maybe this will help your daughter have a few good days. About a week later, some of his golfing buddies uh, came up to Roberto and they said, Roberto, remember that woman that met you met in the parking lot? And um, he said, yeah. He, they said, well, we want you to know um, that that woman was lying and you were scammed out of your winnings. And Roberto said, uh, you mean she lied to me? And they said, yes, she did. And Roberto said, you mean that there is no child with an inoperable medical condition who lives in pain every day? And they said, that's right. And he said, wow, that's the best news I've heard all week. In the NFL Hall of Fame, there are 26 quarterbacks that are named. Six of the 26 have children who have special needs. Now, when you think about it, that's an amazing percentage but every one of those six quarterbacks in the NFL Hall of Fame have all said the same thing. They've said, my special needs child that I have is the greatest gift that God has ever given to me and is the reason and motivation for me to achieve what I've achieved. One of my favorite quarterbacks in the NFL and in the CFL was Doug Flutie, not in the NFL Hall of Fame, but still a man who has a son with special needs, who's a champion for that son. I don't know if you've ever heard of the name Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow is an athlete, and he's well-known probably to, mostly to the Christian community. Um, he's an outspoken, well-known Christian. But uh, Tim Tebow is not what you would call a sports success. He was in the NFL for a few years. He played uh, as a backup. He played as a starter when the starter got hurt. He played for a few seasons, but after a while, um, he was cut and he was not re-signed. Now, Tim Tebow plays in the minor leagues, baseball, professionally, for the New York Mets. He's not what you would call a baseball success in any way. But what Tim Tebow has done is he has started a foundation. And one of the foundation, one of the things the foundation has done is they've initiated an event called a night to shine. A night to shine is a night that is for special needs adults to celebrate their value before God, God's love for them, and just to raise them up in a way that is spectacular. I'd, you, I'd like you to watch a video from 2020, from the 2020 Night to Shine. The highlights are in the video. It was filmed in February before the pandemic broke out, and I think you're going to catch just an understanding of greatness.
Every heartland, farm town, fence pole sun. Every West Coast big break queen. All your high rise, skyline, concrete kids. Every zip code in between. Grab your first time from porch pounding heart and gas up your Chevrolet. Cause the sun's half gone and it won't be long till we make our getaway. This is our time, our night to shine. Oh, take my hand, hold on tight. Don't look back to the Lord and let the world go. Praise be slow. Tell tomorrow not to hurry, we're just fine. This is our night to shine. Pin a flower Grab your favorite pair of denim, patched up knees and faded blue. Fold two twenties in your pocket, kiss your mama at the door. Take a picture, perfect postcard, and send it out across the world. This is our Wasn't that an amazing video? You see, greatness is determined by our kindness and our affection to the least of these, to those who have no social status, no position, no power. And that has to be who we are at Milton Bible Church. That is, we reach out in kindness
It is then that we will be great to reach out in kindness to teenagers that have nowhere to go but need a safe place to gather and safe people to talk to, that we reach out in kindness in our community to those who are hungry, to those who are without, and to, to help feed those who, who have needs uh, so that no home in Milton goes hungry. Yesterday was a great day at Milton Bible Church. We had, I don't know how many people here, hundreds of people here. And each one of those people received a backpack. Backpacks uh, for children uh, from ages uh, infant to 17 that were filled with the necessities of life. Gifts, things that were special, that would be special to them. They also all received meals for their entire families to take home so that yesterday at Mil in Milton, there would be no home uh, that would, would, would be hungry. They received a non-judgmental welcome in Jesus' name as they came onto our property. And they received just an expression of God's love, something in which they could never pay back. Do you know what? Milton Bible Church's greatness will not be measured by our buildings and our property. It will not be measured by how much money we send to missions. It will not be measured by how amazing our church staff is. And it will not even be measured by how much uh, our Christmas offering will be this year. Milton Bible Church, its greatness, our greatness, will be measured by the kindness that we show to those who are the most vulnerable, those with the least power, those with no status, no ability to pay us back in any way. And so Milton Bible Church, we need to pray that God would make us great. That God would make us great according to the kingdom definition. That greatness is found in sacrifice and greatness is found in service. Kindness to the least of these May his kingdom come, and may it come through his people at NBC. Let me pray to that end. Father, I just want to thank you for this Christmas season, and want to thank you for the clarity of the teaching of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I thank you for the way that he prepared his disciples to bring the kingdom of God forward in power. And I thank you, Lord, that he helps prepare us, our hearts, to be great in your eyes. And so, Father, we pray that you would raise up in us a spirit of sacrifice and a spirit of service for the least of these, showing kindness to all those who come around us, especially to those who are powerless, without status, 
And may we be found successful in your eyes. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, Milton, Milton Bible Church, go forward and be great in Jesus' name. And begin to enjoy this Christmas season. Uh, We're going to hunker down and we're going to love every minute of it. God bless you guys.